So we continue a sermon series in the book of Luke. Welcome if, if you're uh, visiting with us or new to us. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're, we're continuing um, to look at this passage by passage, expositionally uh, passage by passage of, of the good news, the gospel for the good news for those who least expect it. Uh, the gospel is coming to the, the unlikely, like like Zechariah and Elizabeth, like a virgin Mary, a carpenter Joseph, and, and now we're going to look today at how it, it came to some shepherds, some, some shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. Typically, this is read during the Christmas time, but it is also, I think, gives us a vision for what to look for in the new year, a vision for the new year. How, how should we... Think about this new year. 2024 is coming up. How should we think about going into the, to the new year? You know, one of the things that we love about the start of the new year is that we can reset some things, right? You can reset the books you didn't get to read, your, your uh, Goodreads goal. Or maybe you just, like, like I was talking to someone earlier, you're just going to not set a goal for Goodreads, and you're just going to try to just read at least one book. It's no problem, right? Because there's a new year, and you get to reset it right? The home projects that you didn't get done, no problem. New year, reset. And, and we, like, we like that sort of reset. At least I do. Maybe you don't. But it is kind of irrational, isn't it? Well, there's nothing actually magical about January 1st. It's an arbitrary date that you, it won't actually help us get anything done, except maybe psychologically we, we boost ourselves up and and we get a set new goals if you do that kind of thing. However, there, you know, there is some benefit to us that December 31st lets us put one year behind us. We, we look back with thanksgiving of what God has done. That's what the elders did in our last elder meeting in the beginning of December is to, to look back at this year and, and be thankful for all that God has done for us. It's a, it's a good practice to do, to, to look back on what has happened and, and, and realize and give thanks for uh, all, all the good and, and even the hard in our life that God is working through. Friends, the, the Christian vision as a world and life view looks back to the old, not in, in nostalgia, not oh, the old was always better, but it looks back to the old in order to have hope for the new. That's what the Christian view of life is. It doesn't look back to our own accomplishments as our hope or look at our failures and despair, but it looks back to the old, old story that gives us a vision for the future. How can you and I have hope for the future? by looking back again and again on the old, old story. It's, it's like reading a, a favorite book, a favorite series of books, and, and being in wonder and in awe of what you missed before, or how it hit you this time as you read it. We look back and we, we see what God has done. If we want to have a future as God's people, if we want to move forward with the mission God has called us to as the branch, as individual Christians, our, our minds and hearts and our affections must be captured by this story. It's not something we can ever move on from or outgrow. 
And our passage this morning reminds us that we need to return to this story again and again. The story is the gospel, the good news. And the problem for a lot of us who maybe grew up in the church or have heard this story or you come here every Sunday and every Sunday, you know where the sermon is going to get to. It's going to get to Jesus and how the whole Bible points to him and looks at him in, 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 in these rich theological ways. But the problem is time and time again, we return to it and we get bored with it. And I, I, we want to look at Luke 8, 14 through 20, what Cameron just read for us, and be reminded that this is the greatest story ever told. It's not just a cliche. It's the richest and warmest and, and best story that has the best conflict and the best resolution that every story is based on. And this story, for the third time, opens up with a messenger from heaven, an angel comes to some dirty old shepherds in verse 8 of chapter 2. And it says, I'll just read it again, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now what region are we in? If we go back, we remember that Mary and Joseph have come, because of a census, have come to Bethlehem. So it's in that region, around Bethlehem, that these shepherds are watching their flock by night. And it's in that region uh, that the angel shows up to them. Again, the messenger is an, the angel is a messenger sent by God. But we move from Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, in, in the manger to a field in the same region and to a group of shepherds who are tending to their sheep. Now, before we get to the story, we, we must take a moment to consider who the shepherds were. It's in this first century region around Bethlehem. Friends, uh, you might have a cartoonish figure of what shepherds are and what angels are, but let's think about what they really were. Shepherds in that region during that time were actually low class and untrustworthy maybe somewhat akin to a, a crooked boss, you know, union boss, or a garbage company owner who's in league with the mafia. The, the, the shepherds were unclean because of their profession. They, they were around dirty sheep, and they would have to cleanse themselves if they were going to worship before God. But they were unclean, and also their reputation was unclean. They were known to be thieves and robbers. Their reputation was that their motto was, what is thine is mine. They didn't have any qualms about taking things from your backyard, even if the gate was locked. These, these shepherds were not permitted to testify in court because their word was not worth much. They, their reputation was such that they were, they were low class, they were untrustworthy. And in keeping with the theme of the book of Luke, they were a bunch of outcasts and the dregs of society. They were just the kind of people who would not expect to hear such news as this. They were people who needed the good news and didn't deserve it. It was the dirty shepherds who got this news, the new vision based on the old story. And it came from one who was sent by God, the angel. Now, it doesn't tell us the name of the angel, but we can assume that it's probably Gabriel at least uh, it was an angel sent from God, and, and maybe it was Gabriel. But 
If you believe you are too bad to receive good news, or if, you, if your life is irredeemable, you are just the kind of person the book of Luke is written to. This is the gospel. This is a message from heaven of good news to those who least expect it, to the outcasts and the unlikely, those whose reputation is marred. And what Luke does for us in these verses is gives us this good news as a message from heaven and response of verse. So verses 8 through 14 are the message from heaven. And then verses 15 through 20 are the responses of earth. And you can see there in verse 10 that the message from heaven, once again, is to fear not. Apparently, the appearance of an angel is is not a calming boost of serotonin, but an anxiety-induced adrenaline rush. Because every time they show up, they have to tell the people, whether it's Mary or Zechariah or whoever it is, and now the shepherds, fear not. Fear not. Friends, this is a being, the angel is a messenger that comes from the very presence of a holy God. And when you're in the presence of a holy God, you shine brighter than the sun. And the glory of the Lord was shining around this angel and around these shepherds. And as he appeared, the glory of God also appeared. And it made them very afraid. Friends, we must remember this, that our sin and our finitude make being in the presence of a holy God, even in a perfect, in in the presence of a perfect angel, a being that's been in the presence of God, it makes it a frightful thing. Because we are unholy, we are sinners, we deserve judgment and condemnation. And it's not just our weaknesses, but it is our sin, our cosmic rebellion against the king of kings, the one who made the universe that should make us fear and made these shepherds fear. Oh, but the message the angel brings is meant to deal with that very fear. When you're in the presence of a holy God or even in the presence of a perfect angel who represents a holy God and you're tempted to fear, the message of the old, old story is fear not. Messages from heaven to the outcasts and the dregs of society and the pariahs of society is don't be afraid. Why? That should be your next question when an angel says, don't be afraid, or the, 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 the message to you is don't be afraid. You just say, why? And the angel gives that very reason. He gives the reason, the because of Don't be afraid because I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. You see that in in these verses. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, verse 10. Here we see that the gospel is meant to be offered freely to all people. There's a free offer to the gospel that God wants us to give to people who don't know it. That's the message from heaven, to bring great joy to all people, and all kinds of people, all kinds of people like the shepherds and Gentiles. This is one of the prophetic fulfillments of the old, old story that the good news of God's rescue in Jesus the King was to be for anyone who believed. 
You can, you're not bad enough. There's nothing you, you, can, you can do that can keep you from the redeeming love of God in Christ Jesus. He has paid for all the sins, all the kinds of sins that you can commit. This is a, a message of the old, old story. This is a prophetic fulfillment. that it, This wasn't just for one group of people, the Jews. This was for all kinds of people. It was going to the nations. This is how God always wanted it to be. Good news of great joy for all people. Free offer of the gospel. It's a free offer to anyone. That's why we take the gospel to anyone and everyone. And how will people like the shepherds and Gentiles or people like you and me have great joy? How how will you be able to give up your fear for joy? How will that happen? Verses 11 through 13 tells us there is a way, this, this news has content about, it's, it's about a person. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How, how can you get great joy or bring great joy to undeserving people? And it happens only through this one who is lying in a manger currently in this section of scripture. He is a savior. He is, we talked about it, we recited it in our catechism. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And did you notice all the things that he did for us, who he is and what he is still doing for us in that catechism answer? He, he is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And it is that Savior, Messiah, Lord, who is born in the city of the great King David. The line is extended. The family is saved. The promise is being kept. But the strange thing, friends, is that this king, this savior, Messiah, Lord, this one who represents the rule of God on earth, the one who is the salvation of God's people, the one who is the glory of God, the strange and beautiful thing is that he is in a manger. He didn't, he didn't come saying, I'm him. Have you heard football players say that? I'm him. He, 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 you know, he, he, he didn't say, I, I, I'm the greatest. He came as a child, the most vulnerable, to reach the most vulnerable. Even though he was the greatest, he was the high king of heaven. He came as a vulnerable child into poverty to, to reach those who are outcasts, the dregs of society, like these very shepherds, in a feeding trough for animals for sheep, for donkeys, for camels and cows. Behold your king in a feeding trough. This is the old, old story, friends, that gives us a vision for for a new year, for a new future. Behold your king who comes in a feeding trough will also be the king who Pilate put a crown of thorns on his head and writes, behold the king of the Jews. He is the glory of God in a stable lying in a manger. The glory of God surrounded the shepherds as the angel came and gave the message, but the glory of God was also in the stable, wrapped in swaddling clothes and wrapped in human flesh. This is a sign of the kingdom. 
This is a sign, though. To get into the kingdom, you have to humble yourself. Like a child. And, and, and come to God, not with your works of righteousness, but with your, with your sin and unrighteousness. And you come to him in, in repentance and say, God, please take my sin. This is good news of great joy. It's coming to those who will populate the kingdom, like these low-class shepherds. God is bringing his kingdom, not through the line of Caesar's, not through the, the line of, of Caesar Augustus or Herod or anyone like Pilate, someone who, or, or even someone who will overthrow Rome through their physical might. No, God is bringing his kingdom in unexpected ways to unlikely people through a savior, a messiah, a lord who's a baby. Friends, this, this savior will save his people from their sins. He is the very anointed one of God that, that all of the other kings and little messiahs pointed to. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise that there would be a messiah to rescue God's people, and he's here in a manger. And what will this savior, messiah, Lord do? He, he will bring great joy to all people. How? By bringing glory to God simultaneously by being, and bringing peace to earth with those whom he has pleased. You see that in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. How does the God of heaven get glory? By his son humbling himself to be born of a virgin, of a, a born with a, an adoptive father who's a carpenter from a, an unknown town being born in the first people to hear about it, his first visitors and his first evangelists of this one are shepherds, these low-class people. They bring peace among those whom he has pleased. This child is bringing peace to earth. And, and we must notice that he is bringing peace to earth because the earth and the people of earth and the kingdoms of the earth have been at war with God and been at war with one another for thousands of years up to this point. If you remember back to Genesis 3, it shows us how this war began. It began as the subjects of the kingdom, Adam and Eve, rebel against the king it, it, by eating the fruit. He said, you can have the fruit of all the trees of, of this garden, but this one fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And they ate of the fruit. But it was not just about eating the fruit. That, that wasn't the, the declaration of war. The declaration of war from the subjects to the king was about who's in ultimate authority. Who was the king? Was it going to be Adam and Eve? Or was it going to be God? Adam and Eve decided that they were the arbiter of right and wrong. They were going to be, by their, their sense experience, they were going to be the one who said whether the fruit was good or bad. And they chose. They, they, they believed that the crown belonged on their heads. And in eating the fruit of the tree, they crossed the Rubicon like Julius Caesar. The die was cast, and they went to war with God Almighty. But the good news of the old, old story is that God would bring peace to earth. He was bringing a peace treaty to people who are at war with him and goodwill to men by sending the prince of peace. 
His own glory would lie in a manger, wrapped not only in swaddling clothes, but wrapped in human flesh. He would bring peace with those whom he is pleased. Remember that phrase being used later on in the book of Luke, in chapter 3 and verse 22, at Jesus' baptism. He says, uh, Luke relays that story and says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now this Prince of Peace was coming, was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and was well-pleasing to God. And as we, as we go on through the story, the reason he's well-pleasing to God is because, because he submits to God's will all the way to the cross and takes on the sins of his people, bringing the offering of peace. I will, I will make between, peace between God and man by taking the sins of man. By, by be fully, being fully just, reconciling God to man by taking their sins and giving them my righteousness. Jesus Christ did all of the work so that we might have peace with God, so you might have peace with God, dear friend. He says those with whom God is pleased are those and we find in the rest of the New Testament that those who are chosen and adopted in Jesus. Ephesians chapter one, verses five and six, this marvelous prayer of, of, salva- of how God has, wrought, has worked salvation for mankind. Paul prays in glory to God. He says to those he predestined us for adoption, all of us who are saved, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. It it brought him pleasure to do this. God did this. Uh, He predestined an adoption. So when it says that he is the Savior, Messiah, and Lord, he is the Savior of a certain people, those he has predestined for adoption. He knows who is going to be his. The offer of the gospel is free to anyone who will come to him, and we must offer it to anyone. And we know from Ephesians 1 that his salvation is certain and sure that he will have a family of children. It's it's not up for debate, it's not up for grabs. God is saving a people for himself that he's predestined for adoption. He's offering peace. How then does God bring rebels against him into this family? How, how could you be a part of this family if you are not a part of this family? How, how can you be um, one of his children and, and made righteous in his sight? Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified, that means made righteous by faith, those of us who have believed in Jesus, repented of our sins and trusted him alone, those have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through, G- through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are made righteous by faith in him alone. This is justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. How do you have peace with God? How is Jesus bringing, how does this old, old story give you a vision for the new year? You can have peace with God with, from, for those whom God is pleased. Who, who are those God is pleased with? Those who are believing in his salvation, his righteousness alone. The question for you, friend, is how will you respond to this news? 
And Luke gives us three examples of responses, and this is the last point, and it's a shorter point than the first one. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief that this is the shortest point. But there are three examples of responses here, one from the shepherds, one from uh, everybody, and one from Mary. And you'll notice in verses 15 through 20 that people respond to this news in different ways. There's different responses here in your own heart. And the, the book of, of Luke will also show us how different people respond to the news that Jesus brings, this good news that he's gonna give himself for people. How, how do people respond to it? When the angels went away, in verse 15, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The first response, friends, is belief. Notice that the shepherds didn't say, hey, let's go see if what the angel said is true. Let's go see if. They said, let's go see what has happened. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, friends, the Gospel of Luke was written to a man named Theophilus, and all of those like him who read it is to give them certainty that what has happened is true. And it has been made known to you this morning that what has happened is true. What is written down for us by the pen of Luke, probably, probably interviewing Mary, for this, most scholars think that. This has been made known to you that this is true. You don't have to wonder if it's true, it is true. And it has been made known to you, and it was made known to the shepherds and they believed and they proclaimed, they made it known, they believed and proclaimed the message. The angel said it, they believed it. Now, Peter tells us that the word we have written down in these 66 books of the Old and New Testament are a sure word of prophecy. He said it's even more sure than the, the experience he had of, of, of seeing Jesus transfigured. First Peter and Second Peter tells us this. This, is a, this book is a more sure word of prophecy. It's written down for you. You can believe it even though you didn't experience it. Let us go to see that this thing has happened. Will you believe it? And will you proclaim it? That's what they did. They just, right there, I imagine, I mean, right there, they're right there where the, the baby and, and Joseph and Mary were. And they see that it's true what the angel said. And then they just start proclaiming it. I mean, Mary and Joseph already knew right? Yeah, we know the baby's born. He's, he's right here. But they're proclaiming this message that the, 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 the baby in the city of David was the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. They proclaim it. The people who are already there, the people who already know, and this good news of great joy, this old, old story, this gospel is good news for them. It's good news for the people who already experienced it and believed it. And you see this and. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
Now, apparently they told other people too. Everyone who heard it were amazed. And this is another response that you see throughout the Gospels and, and in Luke, uh, particularly since we're in Luke, is that they, they wondered. They were amazed. And that may be your response this morning or uh, you've heard this the good news before and you're really amazed by it. But that's about it. Amazement and wonder is not salvation or true faith. There's a lot of people who are amazed, and when, then when Jesus says hard, hard things like take up your cross and follow me, they all leave him. Amazement and wonder is, is not faith. And Luke and, and Jesus and the Spirit of God is pushing you into real faith, to really believe this and, and, and set your, all of your chips on, on, in, in this basket. That Jesus is who he said he is, that he is who the scripture said he is. He is God and he is man and he has come to save you. Don't just be amazed, believe. And the, the third response we see in verse 19 is that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What's this vision for the new year? the old story brings, it brings a, a sort of settled seriousness. It, it, it's, a, it, it's a treasuring them up in your heart, pondering what she had heard and what she had seen. One of the things I think God would have for us this new year, and one of the things that the, the elders believe that we should be focusing in and, and honing in on is, is, this, is this study of, of the scripture and this meditating and pondering on scripture because we believe this is, this is God's message for us and this is the mission he has for us. It will be fulfilled as we come to treasure Christ for who he is and, and, and do this by pondering. That word ponder has the... Uh, it, it means like conversing. She had this sort of inner dialogue in her heart as she thought about these things, as she's a new mother and she's nursing and taking care of baby Jesus and changing his diaper. She pondered these things, treasuring them up in her heart that she was holding the God of the universe who became a man. And as you ponder these things and you meditate on the scripture this year and you see how all the scripture points to, to Christ and his death and resurrection and his recreation of all things, God is giving us a vision for, for this new year. So the shepherds are evangelists. They're going, they believe, and they proclaim right away. And Mary is treasuring up in her heart and pondering. And as we trace out Mary's sort of journey of faith through Luke, we, we see her as a, a picture of a true disciple, this virgin teenage girl who didn't mean much to the society she was raised in. She, she is held up in high honor and esteem as, as a disciple. And what do disciples do? They treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ in their heart and they ponder, they work it over, they have conversations in their mind as they pray scripture, as they read scripture, and as they tell scripture to others. She kept it safe in her heart and mind, mulling it over, conversing about it, meditating on it. 
And I don't know where you are in your gifting. God has called us all to be proclaimers of the message. He's called all of us to ponder. And, and some of us are natural-born evangelists, and some of us have to work really hard at it. But what God has given for all of us is this message of good news, of great joy for all people, that God, the glory to God in the highest, has brought peace through this little Christ child. And notice these great evangelists, these first evangelists of the message. You know what their belief and proclamation did for them? It sent them back to the sheep. In verse 20, the shepherds returned. Where? Watching their sheep. So these great evangelists now go back to the mundane life of shepherding. But it wasn't mundane for them anymore. They went glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They go back to these sheep and, and it's like they're on fire for the Lord. They're, they're, they're going back and wherever they go with their sheep, they are amazed at this news of great joy that would come to dirty shepherds like them. They glorify and praise God. How? By, by taking care of their sheep, by being good shepherds. So how do you do it this year? How will you be an evangelist? How will you ponder and proclaim this message you have heard? How will you treasure it up in your heart? Do it by going back to being a teacher, to being a software engineer, to being a mom, to being a coach, to being a student, to to whatever blue-collar job you might have, to being an engineer, glorifying and praising God. Friends, this new year brings so many opportunities to, to look ahead, to make new goals, and to, to fail at those goals, which we will all do by February. But, but let us, the branch church as a family, and, and us as individuals, never forget to look back to the old story of good news that brings great joy for all people. Ponder and proclaim this message from heaven. Father, finish this work in our hearts. Only the Spirit of God can do this, and we pray that you would build in us this discipline of pondering and proclaiming your word, your message, and your good news. In Christ's name, amen.